Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, today, I got a great episode coming up with uh, Locked on Sens podcast co-host Brandon Piller. Uh, we go through all the moves that the Sens made, um, break everything down trade by trade and what we thought about it. I uh, just wanted to kind of pop in here quick and apologize because I uh, about eight eight or ten minutes in, I realized I never actually plugged in my microphone, so my audio for the first couple minutes uh, sounds a little worse than it usually does. Um, but it it uh, fixes out around the eight minute mark, and it's not uh, it's not horrible, but it's definitely not uh, the standard that I'm used to. So I figured I would give everyone a heads up. But uh, yeah, just want to thank everyone for listening as always. Um, this is episode 41. Hard to believe we're already getting close to 50. Um, and um, yeah, I'm going to keep it going throughout the rest of the year. And if there's anyone you want to hear, as always, I said, I, I always say give me a shout. So um, you can do that at, on Twitter at Last Word on Sends as a podcast account or my personal one at NHL Sends and stuff. And then other than that, if you want my full trade deadline review, uh, my other podcast is the MNM Hockey Podcast with my buddy Chase McCallum. Uh, we broke down every single trade that happened on that, and you can you can listen to that anywhere you're listening to this. So, um, yeah, it, I think that was a solid hour, 45 minutes, where we literally went through everything. So if you want my uh, opinions on the nonsense stuff, that's where you can find it. Um, but, yeah, and then you can also find a bunch of stuff on lastwordonhockey.com. We're doing great stuff over there. Um, you know, I got a bunch of articles coming out, and um, it's daily content, uh, news, analysis, predictions, all that good stuff. So, um, that's where you can find my work, but uh, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you all enjoy the podcast. Joining me and making his return to the podcast is Brandon Piller. You can hear him from Locked On Senators. He's the podcast co-host. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going, man? Hey, it's going well, Alex. And, uh, you know, at, right after trade deadline, it doesn't matter whether you're a buyer or a seller. As long as you're not a New York Islanders fan, a team that made zero moves, you're going to have stuff to talk about. So uh, let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I think they might be the Islanders might have been the only team, I think, to make zero moves. And I think they were the only team. Ironically, that's the team the Sens play uh, last night. Yeah. And uh, the the game went about as uh, it was about as exciting as their trade deadline. It wasn't very thrilling. Uh, Lucky for us, we don't have to talk about that today. We have lots of other stuff to talk about. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, if anyone hasn't told by the title yet, this will be the trade deadline recap. I had Matt Bosti join me last week and we kind of broke down just like what we thought might happen. We pitched some big ideas and he had actually pitched a uh, sense taking a Vancouver defenseman to me. It wasn't the one that we had thought though. We, we, had, we had a much bigger plan where you, you didn't know, have Travis Hamannick on your board, Alex. Come on. No, I mean, we had someone in Tyler Myers who I was already down enough on, but we had a Brock Besser coming with them. Um, yeah. It, it was quite the trade proposal with Branstrom going the other way. We were kind of debating it. Okay. Uh, this one's a lot more disappointing. I, I, I uh, I'll be straight up. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to have a different take on than me on this. I, I have racked my brain for how or why this makes any bit of sense for the Ottawa Senators. And I, one thing I've been trying to do is not just immediately judge a trade as soon as that, but I try and look back, kind of think of you know the surroundings, what might have happened, you know, why why a team might think this is a good idea, bad idea, all that stuff. It's been four or five days, I think, this since this trade has happened, and I still got nothing for you. I, I really, I don't understand this at all. What was your thoughts when the trade happened, and have they changed at all now? Uh, immediate reaction was probably similar to yours, and 
I think honestly, every single person in the hockey universe, except for Pierre Dorian, was confused by this trade. The Vancouver Canucks included. My my impression is they were looking to shed this contract. And my impression also is they were willing to attach a draft pick to shed this contract. But they kept that under wraps, obviously, and they got Pierre Dorian on a string and have him willing to give up a draft pick. And Pierre Dorian said it initially, they were asking for a fourth round pick. He said, ah, we don't have a fourth round pick. Would you take a fifth? And they're like, oh no, a fifth round pick for Travis Hamannick. That is not enough value. Meanwhile, I think everyone else in the world is like, well, no, you'd have to package that fifth round pick with Hamannick to send him off. But then Dorian's like, okay, uh, don't worry about change for my $20 bill here. Why don't we just turn this $20 bill into a 50? I got a 50 here. You want a third round pick instead of a fourth round pick? Yeah, that'll do. And I just don't understand that negotiating tactic, especially when you look the very next day, the Ottawa Senators acquired a fourth round pick. So why, why would you go ahead and give extra value just because you didn't have the exact change the team wanted when you know you're going to be making more deals and a fourth round pick for a lot of these guys, the Sens are looking to ship out. It's pretty attainable to think you could get one of those and then trade a fourth to acquire Hamannick. But I think Really, the thing here is the Senators took a look at their decor and said, all right, we're moving out Josh Brown. We want to get some more veteran shut down guys, guys that we believe can play those roles to help mentor some of the younger guys we're going to have coming up. Sanderson, uh, Lassie Thompson, I mean, even a Branstrom who's already here, right? So they said, let's try to find a mentor. And Jack Capuano had a lot of good things to say about Travis Hamannick. Mind you, the last time those two were, were together, I think was six or seven years ago. So I, I, I get and I appreciate the fact you got to go with guys uh, that in-house have recommendations. That's where you got to start, right? Like it's almost like hiring for a job. Like if, uh, if you got a buddy that you recommend to your manager, they're probably going to look at them first. And that's fine. I respect that. But when every single other person seems to have not great things to say about Travis Hamnick, that's when it becomes a head scratcher. We saw Mark Mathot said he had sources that say he's a bit of a different guy. Uh, we saw a Vancouver reporter saying, yeah, the Vancouver players were ecstatic that this guy is getting shipped out of the room, addition by subtraction kind of stuff, right? Um, so it's tough to look at this trade. And even after you digest it, it's tough to be like, okay, I can see where this is going because they also went against a, a bunch of their fundamental rules and principles. Travis Hamnick, they're going to have to pay his signing bonus. He has a signing bonus. The Senators will not give out signing bonuses themselves. Why are they taking on players that have signing bonuses? So that's a head scratcher. But you know what? Maybe a change of scenery for Travis, Travis Hamnick. Maybe getting back with Jack Capuano. Maybe a different role. You know, we're going to use you more as a mentor rather than need you to put up points or do things that you were doing in Vancouver. And maybe it works out. I, I'm like you. I'm not. I'm not trying to badmouth the player or the person. I just don't understand why this transaction happened the way it did. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. And um, you know, it's it's one of those things where. There's so much that I, there's so many thoughts I have on this just in general, and I'm trying to form where to start. And I think the big thing is the Vancouver media. It's probably not a good sign when every single media member was jumping for joy that they not only got out of this contract, but got an asset, a good, like not a bad asset with it. And I know Ottawa has multiple thirds, but thirds are not 
not valuable in the NHL. You know, like you can get good players for third round picks. Which the Vancouver Canucks did immediately after. Exactly, right? So they flip it for Travis Dermott, who is, you know, he struggled in Toronto, but he's got all the tools. I would have much rather in Ottawa try and take a shot on Travis Dermott for a third round pick. And I get it. He he wouldn't quite have the mentor role or whatever that um, that Hamnick has. But it's not like Ottawa's blue line is full of 21-year-olds that they like. I, like Branstrom, sure, but I, like I don't know about you. I think Branstrom might even be on his way out this summer still. Maybe not, but with it kind of just feels like he might be the odd one out. But you have Nick Holden, who's a 34-year-old, been in the league. Even Zub, you know, is 26, 27. The next year will already be his third year. Thomas Shabbat has been in this league for five, six yeah. years. Like, he's getting to the point where you can call him a veteran. Yeah. And and maybe this means Zaitsev's out, fingers crossed, just in terms of especially salary. But, but if it doesn't, I just... I don't get the logic and I get it. Like, as you said, absolutely. I have no issue with people who are in-house. You have them in-house to listen to their opinions, but it feels like Ottawa's pro scouting continues to only be, let's just hear what guys are coaches like, and we'll go from there. And that is just not a satisfactory way to do things in 2022, especially as you said, at least when DJ Smith brought in Connor Brown and even Zaitsev, at least he had coached them the year prior. Yeah. Travis Hamannick hasn't been in with the Islanders organization for seven years now. So like so much could have changed from that. And it kind of sounds like stuff may have also changed because yeah, like, again, I, I know that the, the classic thing when you move on as when an organization moves on is they kind of leak to the media. Oh, this guy wasn't the greatest in the room. He did what's Ottawa's classic. He didn't want to be here. Right. Right. So you yeah. have to take it with a grain of salt, but when every report from the guy is coming out, that is like, they couldn't believe they got rid of this dude. And every teammate was like thrilled about it. It's like, Ooh, that's probably at least a little bit of a red flag. Yeah. And especially Alex, when you consider that this is a guy, I think uh, I don't have his hockey DB in front of me, but I think this is only a second season in Vancouver. Is it not? So like he wore out his welcome pretty damn quickly. And that's not a good sign either. And again, I'm hopeful that he's a good player. And if you look back recently, he did have, he has been playing well recently. So that's a good sign. You hope that eventually that pays dividends in Ottawa and, and, and maybe it will. Cause I think if there's one thing the Sens have going for them and, um, we can kind of transition to the Joseph trade uh, through this if you want, because I don't have much more to say about Hamannick. And I think we're both agreeing on the same things here um, is that, look, Joseph came in. He was disappointed. He came from Tampa, a great place to play hockey, no state tax, sunny all the time, back-to-back Stanley Cup champs, playing with legends like Kucherov, like Stamkos, Hedman, and he's got to go to Ottawa. But what's the first thing Brady Kachuk, the captain of this team, does? He says, hey, come out to dinner with us. Come meet the guys. We're going to welcome you with open arms. I think if there's one thing the Sens can do, it's have a good culture here and have guys come in and be like, look, we know you've heard about the the things with the owner. We know all the bad things. But as a hockey team, as this group of guys, we all try to get along and we have a good time and we're going to welcome you. So I think that's something you can hope for that Hamnick's going to come in here. He's going to have a clean slate. And the guys can welcome him and he can thrive. That's what you got to hope for. And I think we're going to see that with a guy like Matthew Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you you hit the nail, uh, the nail on the head there with, especially Hamnick. Like, I think the important thing is it's not his fault that he got traded for a third round pick. Hamnick wasn't the one negotiating that, right? It's, it's 
well, uh, the peers' fault is what I'm going to say because it kind of sounds like one of them might even have been pushing the bus a little stronger than the other one. Um, but you know, it was the front office's fault. I still want Hamnick to succeed here. Like I, it's the same thing. You know, when I rip on Zaitsev, I'm not ripping on the dude. He could be the nicest guy in the world. He's just not that good at hockey. And it's not his fault he accepted $4.5 million. I would have taken that if I was in his position too, oh, yeah. right? So I, I absolutely hope that Hamnick comes in and just like completely flips what his results have been for the past couple of seasons because they've not been good. But um, Matthew Joseph, that this is one that I, I am very, very excited about. I'm not going to lie. I thought they should keep Nick Paul. Um, I, I kind of get it. Like, I know people were worried. Uh, I don't know if worried is the right word, but – this the organization's definitely taking a lot of flack because uh everyone's favorite reporter Bruce Garriott came out yesterday on in the intermission and said that uh the team the latest offer from the team was four years by about 2.6 million dollars in that area and, and Nick Paul turned it down because he wanted closer to three million and to be honest like I personally thought the, the farthest I would go with Nick Paul is three by three I, I love Nick Paul yep. think he's a great guy but at the end of the day he's a bottom six player and probably like he's probably gonna be playing fourth line on Tampa which is a really good team. So yep. you can't be extending those guys for four, five, six years, right? It's just going to hurt when you want to be competitive. I thought there was a real opportunity that they just take a third round pick and that's it for Nick Paul. And it wouldn't have been the end of the world, but to get a guy like Matthew Joseph, who is kind of, they don't have the exact same game, but is a very similar player in terms of results to Nick Paul, in terms of he doesn't drive offense, but you can tell that he, he can be offensive if he needs it and has played really solid defense over the past couple of years and is two years younger and a million cheaper than Paul. And you get a fourth round pick with it. I really love this trade. I, I, I think this is one that uh, way better than I was expecting, to be honest. Yep. And look, we harp on the pro scouting all the time. So when they do something good, we got to congratulate them. And I thought that was a really good job focusing in. And like Dorian said, the negotiations with Paul kind of stopped when Joseph's name was brought up. That was kind of like, a, oh, okay, this is interesting. And I agree with you. And we talked about it on the Locked On Senators podcast. We love Nick Paul. Nick Paul does it all. The first thing you have to do when you trade Nick Paul, all right, how do we find a Nick Paul? But if he's going to price himself out, you got to respect Dorian for being like, look, this is, this is our cap situation. We can't afford to pay more. If you don't like it, happy trails we hope you find uh find that contract somewhere else we we think you're a great guy you've done a lot for this team you've uh, been a big part of our development but we're just not comfortable to go there and then for nick paul in return to be like okay i'm not comfortable going where you guys are i guess we're we're at a standstill we got to focus on a trade that's fine and i will always i will always commend people for betting on themselves because you have to look at nick paul's situation and be like this is going to be arguably the biggest contract of his career, right? He finally gets to hit UFA. He gets to decide where he's going to go, how much he's going to get paid, what's he going to accept. And he gets a chance to play for a contending team to play in some meaningful games. So I respect all of that. So moving past that, how are you going to replace him? And I thought they did a pretty damn close job replacing him because if you look at the shorthanded time, Joseph plays a similar amount of total uh, shorthanded time on ice to Nick Paul. I think it's within honestly 10 minutes. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, Nick Paul has played 130 minutes of PK. Joseph has played 120. And the difference there is Joseph has been putting up points 
on the PK. And where he thrives, that where Nick Paul doesn't, is his speed. And Alex, I don't know how much of the game you caught last night, but the glimpses of him with the puck and carrying it through the neutral zone and into the offensive zone, you saw that speed. So that's something that Nick Paul maybe has a better shot and maybe he's one of those guys. And I think if you're Tampa, you looked at this and said they're very similar players, but with Nick Paul, we saw him play first line center for the Ottawa Senators. We saw him play second line center. We saw him play third line wing. We saw him play on the PK. We saw him take faceoffs. He's so versatile. That's so important when you're on a Stanley Cup run with a budget like the Tampa Bay Lightning are because they're pressed up against the cap. So there's value there. But for the Senators, there's value in, and you mentioned it, he's a million dollars cheaper or some, uh, maybe not a million, but half a million cheaper right, right now. Right, yep, right on a million. I think he had 750 as his contract right now. So Okay, so you're getting a cheaper player. You're getting a younger player. And the caveat on that is you're getting a guy who's now a restricted free agent instead of a ufa so you have control there he you have his rights he's not going to go anywhere so i think that was very attractive to the sense and then on top of that he has a great relationship with thomas shabbat we talked about jack capuano vouching for hamnick well it goes to the players too thomas shabbat said this is this guy has good character um he he has playoff experience back-to-back stanley cup championships so He's a guy I think we should bring in here. And he's from Laval. So uh, a guy close geographically, the, close to his hometown. So I think bringing in him was a really good idea. I think it's going to take some time to find out where he's going to fit. I can tell you right now, I don't think he's, he's meant to play with Tierney and Adam Gaudet. No offense to those guys. They just don't quite complement his skill. So I hope we get to see him throughout this stretch of the rest of the season tried out on a line with Alex Formanton and Tim Stutzla, two other young speedsters that can keep up with his pace and that can handle his type of skill. Because if you go and look at Joseph and his points and uh, at Leams Martian put together a great clip of all his points this season, he has high hockey IQ. Not only can he shoot the puck, he can pass the puck, he can move the puck up ice and transition, he can find guys back door, he can play with uh, Steven Stamkos, he can play with Pat Maroon. He is also very versatile. So I think the Senators did a really great job in uh, focusing and understanding that they're at a standstill with Nick Paul. How can we acquire guys similar to replace him? And I think they did a great job in Matthew Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, for Tampa, it's one of those things where, as you said, they're very similar players, but I think Nick Paul's a little better right now. And that can be so valuable to a, a cup contending team where, even if it's that half percent, 1% edge, that might be what puts you over the top. So for them, it totally makes sense. And, you know, uh, the RFA status for Joseph didn't really matter to them because they knew they were going to lose them this offseason because of their cap crunch anyway. So, you know, it's not like they were, it, it, this isn't the player long that was in their long-term plans anyway. So I totally get it from them. And I'm excited for Nick Paul. He gets to go compete for a cup. Like this is one of the top three, four teams yeah. in the league, right? Scored so, in his first game with them too. And, and he looked good too, right? Yeah. I was flipping back and forth. Cause yeah, that, that, uh, Sens game last night was a bit of a snooze fest, but um, uh, Matthew Joseph in that game looked, I, I really liked this game. You know, there was a couple plays that stood out and I think, you know, I, uh, I try and give every game I can. Last night, I think I made a total of six of them and three of them, I think, were Matthew Joseph. So, um, you know, one of the plays was he got rocked at the blue line and, you know, that, that line ball starts to form again. And it, it's the opposite of what happened in Buffalo. This time, yes. he has the wherewithal to go, oh, shoot, this play's still alive. Skates the puck. Sets, I think it was Connor Brown on a breakaway. Couldn't a tyranny. finish it. Tyranny. And so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, couldn't finish it, but a great chance nonetheless. Um, and then the other one was in the third period, six minutes left. 
Uh, I can't remember what defenseman had it, but it was in the Islanders' end, and they were cycling it around to go start the breakout. Joseph uses his speed, gets right in between two of the defenders, strips the puck from the guy, walks out front, feeds someone, for, or gets a shot and a rebound for a yep. beautiful chance. Again, doesn't go in, but like that's the kind of stuff that if he can use his speed to do on a normal basis, he's going to be a very effective player on any line he plays on because he showed last night he doesn't always need his teammates. But, uh, you know, as you pointed out, I think if you put this guy in a in a situation to succeed, he is going to be able to do more, too. And he kind of reminds me a lot of, like, a Tyler Ennis-type player where, you know, he might not always drive his own line, but he can play on lines one to four and be effective doing that. And he's already shown he can play in the bottom six in Tampa and have absolutely no issue. But the skill is so obvious there that if you're putting him alongside Batherson and Norris or Kachuk and Stutzla or, you know, any, any combination of those four guys, I think he is going to be effective. And it's just, I, I, yeah, I really like this trade. Like this is one where, you know, I, I, I am of the mind that you can never have too many draft picks, but if a young guy with some maybe untapped potential like this comes along, you have to take advantage of it. To, to me, like he screams like the type of guy that Vegas took in their expansion draft. And yeah. they had like six guys just kind of like explode when they got a bigger, bigger ice time. Right. He, I'm not saying he's going to become a point per game player or anything like that, but if he can even just become a very solid third liner who can move up and down your lineup, that's basically what Nick Paul was as well. So the fact that you can get him for under contract for a couple more years, very likely he's a couple years younger and he might be here more when you're trying to compete to me, that's a great trade. And then he's one of the guys I'm going to be focusing on for all 20 games that are left in this season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're Joseph, maybe you're disappointed initially, but you got to look at this as a big opportunity. You're going to a team that's trying to build a core. You can be a part of this core. They're, they've got a lot more cap room. You're not going to get squeezed out on those bottom lines like you talked about. You have a chance to move up and down the lineup. You're playing with the guy, Tom Shabbat, that you're very good friends with. And you know that you could probably fit in with guys like Brady, Timmy, Josh, uh, Drake, all those guys. So there's good opportunities here for Joseph. And I, I really think that of all the, the things we, we harp on the sense for, this was a move that really made a lot of sense and you got to give him credit for. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, um, I think they fairly get uh, um, criticized when they make moves that don't make much sense, but uh, yeah, it goes the other way too. Like I, I will have no problem applauding this trade where I, I think this is, Definitely. I, I, well, I'm hoping it's a hit, but I, I like the process or the thought behind it as well. And, um, you know, the, the one last thing on his speed too, I'm, I'm going to be really interested to see if that can um, translate a little more at five on five as well, because one of the things I was surprised about when I looked them up, uh, at least from uh, hockey viz is, you know, they do isolated shot impact. So they try and isolate the player based on, you know, what he does versus his teammates and where, where they generate stuff on the ice. And uh, Joseph's really responsible defensively. That was the first thing that immediately stuck out when you're looking at it is, you know, he, he's pretty solid in his own end, um, especially for a guy who doesn't always play center. Um, you know, he, he's been on, he can play center left wing or right wing. He's a very versatile player. Um, so, you know, he, he's good in his own end, but he doesn't produce, he doesn't not produce, but he doesn't produce as much as I would have thought someone with that much speed um, maybe he can. So I, I'm really interested to see if, you know, he gets a little more of an extended role and maybe even he's told, Hey, play a little freer here, because let's be honest, the auto centers don't have much to lose. You know, when you're playing with the Tampa Bay lightning, it's a very structured system because they have their big dogs who can score. So everyone yep. in the bottom six, yeah, you can chip in, but your job is to just not get scored on. And just you know, support those big guys. Really. Exactly. Right. Just, you know, like to give them the help here and there, but you do not need to do the heavy loading. And he's not going to be expected that in Ottawa, but in Ottawa, especially on a team, again, that 
if they let up goals at this point, who really cares? Like there's been a lot of talk about, there's a legit chance they might have a top two, top one pick this year. Like (laughs) it's, which is crazy, but it's the truth. And so I would be almost okay. If they say, we know you can play responsible defensively. You're not going to lose that either. Let's see what you can do offensively this year. And that's again, something that I'm going to be very curious to see if he can develop in um, obviously next year too, but the last 20 games or so of the season here. Definitely. And this is like a, a tryout for him, right? Like he's a restricted free agent with a couple uh, games left in the season here. If uh, I, I think he has arbitration rights, I think so. Um, yeah, I and believe so. So if he does, you're going to want to pad your stats and you're going to want to show your value to this team when it comes down to negotiating your next contract. So he's got a lot to prove here. And yeah, I think let o- open the doors up and let him run. Like he's a guy that he, he probably, like you mentioned, was kind of limited in Tampa. So if, if he has any chance at offense, let it fly because I really think that there's, there's some potential and he has a big, big ceiling here that he can reach. And I think he can do it with the Ottawa centers. And I thought he looked great in the Sens uniform as well. So that always helps. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it just, it looked <laughs> natural out there. And I, I really thought he was, I mean, I was looking for him more than that other players, but I thought he was one of their best players last night. And that's always a good way to, to make a debut, especially because it's not easy traveling just from wherever he was, meets up with Ottawa right away with under a day, you know, usually you want to get a practice or two under your belt. Definitely. He didn't have that, or at least not a normal one. So um, yeah, I was, I was really encouraged. And this will be something that I think could be the biggest win of the deadline um, because the other two moves they made just were really not that big. It was the classic kind of cutting some dead weight, I'll say, and we'll get into the Josh Brown trade here. Um, again, more value than I thought maybe they would get from him. I thought maybe they would get a fifth round pick. I think the fact that they got a player in Zach Sension as well is uh intriguing um they send back a seventh the other way and the condition of ascension plays five games with Ottawa before the end of this season becomes a sixth so it almost comes a one-round swap because i think he very likely will probably get a cup of tea up here with ottawa um honestly i'm just happy they moved josh brown i, I thought josh brown settled in a little more as the year went on but yeah. he's just not a guy who was ever going to be in their long-term plans if we're being completely honest, I think both Lassie Thompson and JBD are probably better than him right now. And it was just kind of destined that, you know, he was a guy, he was a warm body that they were going to fill. He's moved to Boston now. He'll be a six slash seven for them. And I think he'll probably have some success. Uh is the interesting one. He was, uh, if people find that name familiar, but not sure where you heard him from, he was one of the three Boston picks in 2015 that they had just the most like lucrative lineup set up for them. Barzell was available. Kyle Connor was available. Thomas Shabbat was available. Um, there was about five or six legitimate NHLers that went in. I think Brock Besser might've been in that draft too. Um, there was just a bunch of really good NHLers that were available and they took him, Jake DeBrusque and. I think it's Zaboral. Yes. Jacob Zaboral. Thomas Shabbat's yeah. partner in uh, the queue. Yeah. And the only one that, even kind of panned out was DeBrusque. And even him, I would say, is probably the worst of the five players that I mentioned who went after him. Exactly. So, um, yeah, he never really panned out. Uh, just never – I wouldn't, I'm not going to say he didn't get his chance in Boston. Uh, Boston was a good, uh, obviously a good team, so it was harder to crack the roster. But he played 14 games and one goal, two assists. Um, he's had 31 points in 51 games with the Providence Bruins this year. And uh, I, I think his ceiling is probably about a fourth liner. Uh, in the NHL, like I, I really don't see him being much more than that, but it's another guy that can come into camp next year and push like even Austin Watson and, and give some kind of competition for Parker Kelly to keep him competitive, I think, as well. And 
it's not a bad, at the end of the day, if all he is is a guy who is a warm body for your AHL team, that's probably all right too. Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing with uh, Zach's initiation is I, I think he's a little bit of a lottery ticket as well, right? Like you're getting him at a low, low price. And like you said, if at best he's just a fourth line NHLer or he's a guy that plays in the AHL, sweet. You got, you got uh, some talent. You got a hockey player in return, not just a late round pick that is an even bigger, uh, farther odds of a lottery ticket. Right. So, and Look, say, say what you want. He hasn't had a lot of NHL experience, but he comes to the Belleville Senators, a team with a lot of high-end prospects, and he's now the leading goal scorer of that team with 19 goals. So he can get it done at the AHL level. And on the Locked On Senators podcast, we talk about it all the time. I think it's of utmost importance for this franchise to have Belleville have a successful season, to have these guys they've drafted and brought in and started to develop, to play in meaningful games, to have some good times, to not just be losing night in and night out like Brady Kachuk has done his entire NHL career, to have guys be a senator with some pride and be like, yeah, we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to go for a run here. If he can be a guy that supports them and helps them make the playoffs, and I believe he can, and he can be a force on even their top power play unit down in Belleville I'm talking about, I think that's a success right there. Because like you said, Josh Brown, it was a foregone conclusion. He's not coming back. He's not going to be a part of this team's future. Thanks for, for everything you've done, but we're going to go our separate ways here. So bring in someone that can support these people. And I think sometimes... Um, fans kind of focus on the AHL being just a prospect farm, like just draft as many players and get them in the AHL and just have uh, four lines and three D pairs of all your prospects. Well, that's all good and fair and you want to help develop them, but those guys need some pros around them and they need support players that already have AHL experience and know what it's like to go through the grind of the AHL season. It's not all glitz and glamour like the NHL. There's a lot of tough road trips. Your, your meals are not from catered chefs, all these kinds of things. You're sleeping on the bus. You need guys that in the, the thick of the season can be like, all right, here's how we keep going. Here's how we keep pushing. And I think Sinition can be a guy like that. And I think, honestly, if given the right opportunities, he could even become like a, a, a crafty bottom six uh, skilled player for the Ottawa Senators because he's so young. And like you mentioned, only 14 games of NHL experience. It's a similar situation with Joseph with Tampa. Like you're just not going to get those opportunities because you have so many better players ahead of you. Well, now a lot of doors open for him in Ottawa and with this franchise. And I think he can take advantage of that. And I think we're going to see a really good player here that hopefully is a part of Belleville's playoff push. Because if you've been following the playoff race for the AHL, it is wild. One loss in the division can put you from second place to sixth place. And the way the AHL playoffs work this season is very different in the past. So the top three teams in the division get a bye. Normally, all four teams, the top four teams in the division, you make the playoffs and standard playoffs. But this year, top three playoff teams get a bye, and the fourth and fifth teams play a three-game play-in series to see which of those teams will join the other three. So there's more odds to make the playoffs, but you have to make sure you're ready for that quick play in series, because it would be disappointing if you make that and just get bounced right away. So I think the senators did a good job of acquiring someone that can help them there and is a bit of a lottery ticket for the future for the NHL club. So I think again, you, you got to say that's a decent trade for the sense. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't think, you know, 
I had asked, I had put on Twitter, you know, what, what would you grade their deadline? And I, I don't think you could give it an A or, you know, even the specific no. trade A, but I think this is a perfect example of just a nice like B trade, you know? like this I gave exactly, them a B minus. That's what yeah. I did there. And if it wasn't for the Hamannick trade, I think I would have done a solid B, maybe even a B plus. I would say I would just give him a B. I give him a C plus because of the ham, simply yeah, because of the Hamannick trade. And um, yeah, but like this is the kind of trade. And I've mentioned it before on this podcast too. One of the really nice things that we've seen develop from the Senators over the past couple of years is they've actually treated their AHL team like a team where they can properly develop people. And by that, I mean, like for a while there, it just kind of felt like it was a mix of like a couple prospects and then a bunch of goons. And the, like yeah. the, the team would just finish dead last in their division every year. You know, it helps having good prospects that that goes a long way. But as you said, it's not just four lines of prospects because that does not work in the AHL. Yep. You need a balance. Exactly. And all you have to do is look right down the road to see what, you know, Toronto Marlies, who have the biggest, like they have a massive budget for their AHL team. But yep. what they did was the exact same thing with guys like William Nylander, who, you know, is having a very successful NHL career now. His first year in the AHL, they played him, but they played him with guys like Rich Clune, who like is just, you know, he's a fringe NHL type player. And, you know, he, he was never really going to make the NHL full time. So they're like, hey, we'll pay you a handsome salary. You're going to be our captain for our AHL team. You know, we'll give you a cup of tea maybe with the, the NHL team, but we really want you to be the rock in the AHL team. And I'm not saying Sanchez is going to be that or anything like that, but just surrounding the team with players like that, that you know exactly can be just good AHL players, know the grind, and, you know, can help out the team in a couple of different ways. I do think that is important. And if that's all they end up getting out of it, I'm not going to be disappointed. And as I said, I really, I really do think that there's going to be an opportunity in, you know, either whether that's late this year or into training camp next year for him to at least show, hey, I can provide something to this team, whether, you know, they want it or they take it. That might be a different story, but it's not like he's not going to get the opportunity. And I think that's more than you can say he might have gotten Boston either. So, yeah, and, and I think it's it's very clear that he didn't get that opportunity. And you know, he's probably welcoming this this chance, and this could be a big move for his career as well. So, I think moving on from Josh Brown and getting a guy like that, it uh, it works out for both parties because Boston, as as they uh, tend to do, shored up on defense uh, heading into the playoff push. Here, they made a massive deal for Hampus Lindholm, and I think real playoff teams know you got to have a couple extra bodies on defense because if you hit injuries, who knows what's going to happen. So I think it's a it's a good trade on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like they gave up a lot to get Josh Brown either. Yeah. And I and I think Josh Brown is a good seventh defenseman. Like they're. Yep. You know, as much as, you know, he has some tough plays, he's a fine, if he's your number six, number seven guy, it's all right. It's just, there was times where Ottawa was using him closer to a four, or the problem was the guy ahead of him in Zaitsev, or, you know, a couple players ahead of him just were not good either. So it's like, it's a whole train. It's like, well, this is, this isn't going to work, but like, I do think he will be an effective player and any useful guy to have is some depth. And, um, you know, the only other trade they made was a, a fifth round pick for Zach Sanford and, that's fine. Again, like I think it was pretty obvious that Sanford was on his way out. He uh, he didn't really seem to care to play here um, or slash in Canada, which is why I find it kind of funny he got sent to Winnipeg, <laughs> um, which I, I thought was shocked Winnipeg even bought, to be honest. But they seemed to – it was a soft buy because they they sold on Cop, which was a ridiculous yes. price. I like Cop as a player, but that was a lot to give up for him, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really have much to say other than that. I think it was the right move. Um you move Sanford out, you're going to give um, 
you know, Parker Kelly is probably someone who's going to get an opportunity, as we just mentioned, Sension, um, you have Matthew Joseph now up here as well. Um, so, you know, there's going to be some guys that we're going to see definitely from the HL get a get a shot in the last couple of games here. And I think that's, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the one signing that they made as well in a second. But, um, you know, I, I want to get your opinion on what are you looking for in the last 20 games or so here? I'm just trying to pull it up. I can't remember if they have 19 or 20 left. Um, you know, obviously, I, we were talking about the game before. Yeah, 19 games left now. Okay. We are talking about the game before or from last night against the Islanders, and I don't think they're all going to be as bad as that. The Islanders are a pretty boring team to begin with. So when you have two teams that just, you know, Ottawa doesn't seem to have it all the time when they're in that building either. But is there a certain player or is it a system that you're focused on? What do you want to see from, you know, the team as a whole and just in general in the 19, last 19 games here? I want to see them kind of uphold what they talked about in December. Um, I don't know if you remember, Alex, but it was December. I forget at what point or what happened that triggered this statement. But DJ Smith said, we are going to be focusing on a developmental philosophy. And then they continued to frustrate fans by giving Zaitsev and all these guys big minutes of bringing Lassie up for maybe a game, JBD uh, for maybe a game. And it was like, well, if you're going to do that, then do it. And I think they're at a point now where they've shipped off some of the extra contracts and now you're going to have an opportunity to do this. And I do believe that maybe they are going to do this. And something that really gave me a glimpse and, and hope that they're going to start focusing on development uh, process and philosophy is I saw something that I didn't think I would see all year and I did not have uh, as an idea, but it was on the penalty kill in the send zone. And who was out there for a defensive zone draw on the penalty kill? Tim Stutzla. Like, that is not his forte. First off, he's an offensive guy. He plays on the top power play unit. He's built for speed, playmaking, passing, shooting. And he's not that great at faceoffs either. Let's just, let's just call it like it is. So for DJ Smith to be like, you know what? We're losing this game or this season is out the window in the trash. Why not just Timmy struggles at face-offs? You know how you get better at face-offs? You take more face-offs. So I'm going to put him in a high-pressure situation here. Penalty kill, defensive zone draw. Let's see how he does here. And he won the face-off and they cleared the puck shortly after. So it's little things like that where it's like, what's the point of giving Chris Tierney that face-off draw and if he wins it, if he loses it, who cares? He's a veteran. He already has a face-off experience and he's getting shipped out the door anyways. Why not put Tim Stutzla in an uncomfortable situation and say, here you go, kid, figure it out. So I want to see them do similar things. I want to see them put Matthew Joseph on that top line like they did for a shift or two. How can you play with uh, Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris, our two best players? Can you compliment them? Can you keep up? Are you going to be able to get into the dirty areas and feed Norris when you have to? Are you going to be able to transition the puck up to Brady so he can crash the net? Are, like, what kinds of things? And Branstrom, perfect example. Of course, we don't want to see Thomas Shabako down. He is such a big part of this team. But if I'm going to put a silver lining on it, it's it's in a losing season. You know what you got from him anyways. And now you're really going to get a good look. Hey, we, we traded for Eric Branstrom thinking he's going to be a top four guy. Now you're on the top line and we're finally putting Branstrom. And this is another reason why I think they're, they're could turn to developmenting uh, process is they put him with Zub. They gave, they're putting him in a position to succeed. If there's one thing we've noticed, it's anyone that's on the left side of Zub, 
tends to do pretty well and not just eye test analytically as well. They tend to get a little bump there. So let's put Brandstrom with Zub, not with Zaitsev, not with uh, Michael Delzato, not with Josh Brown. Let's give him a real shot here. Put him on the top power play unit. And maybe he hasn't quite lived up to that, but he's going to have 19 more games to try to prove that he can. So, and another thing, Philip Gustafson, this guy has been dealt such a bad hand with Matt Murray's injuries with, um, you know, uh, injuries all around, bouncing up and down, being on the taxi squad, all these kinds of things. He needs to get in as many starts as possible. This is the goalie they protected in the in the expansion draft. Like, this is the guy who kick-started the rebuild in the Brassard trade. Like, they've invested a lot of capital into him doing well. So prove it. Give him those opportunities. I like that they... <laughs> Michael McNiven is probably not the goalie I would have wanted to acquire, but they acquired a goalie. And I'm hoping that that gives them the opportunity to put Gus down in Belleville and get him meaningful starts, have him relieve a little pressure off Mad Sogard too, because Sogard was not ready to pick up all his weight and responsibility either. So I guess to wrap around and kind of uh, put a bow on my answer here, what I want to see them do is put these players that they have a lot invested into and that need to experience new challenges in the NHL and the AHL, put them in positions to succeed and let them show you what they can do because wins and losses, who cares at this point, right? If anything, it's better to lose a couple games for your draft lottery odds. Obviously we're not cheering for losses. Nobody wants to lose, but that's just the reality of the situation, right? So I want to see this team do more things like get Tim Stutzel on defensive zone, zone PK draws, get Eric Branson playing on top power units, get Gustafson starting in uh, meaningful games up against divisional opponents in the AHL. Those are the kinds of things I want to see for this stretch yeah i think that's exactly right and it's uh it's a little disheartening because that's the exact sentence that exact everything you just said there i think we said with about 12 games to go last year too yep. um you know it was the exact same scenario and last year we expected it you know we didn't really expect the team to be good shabbat went down and we went oh let's see what branch or met they have and, and Branson played good. And remember, Gustafson, he was one of the hottest goalies in the entire league in that point. So exactly. they have shown that they are willing to do that. So let's see that again. Exactly. And that's the big thing, I think, too, is, is not only do it again, but then next year, if they show again that they're ready, keep that up. Because yeah. I, I will not get And Honestly, I thought Michael Delzato looked really good last night. I thought he was yeah, one of their best defenders. So Yep. But I will just, I will never understand the signing of Delzato when you brought in Nick Holden and you already had Mete, Branstrom, and Shabon on your left side with Sanderson on his way, right? And that's not anything against Delzato. He's an NHL player. He just doesn't fit on this team. It made no sense to me, the fact that Branstrom had to wait until like January again to get into this lineup after what we saw from him last season. So yeah, um, yeah I, I'm fully with you. Like if it was up to me and if this team starts getting like if back, um, Drake comes back, you know, in a week or two, or I don't know where he is with his uh, rehab, but if, you know, if he comes back at any time and, and there's a couple guys you want to see from the AHL, I would just sit Chris Terry. I, you don't owe him anything at this point. You've played him probably longer than you even have needed to up to this point, yeah. to be honest. But like, yeah, you're walking away from him at the end of the summer. You really don't owe him anything. If it comes between like Chris Tierney or like seeing what you have from literally any 20 guys, someone who's 25 or younger, play that guy who's 25 or younger. I, I don't like, I just don't care at this point. Right. And I get it. That's not always fair to the veteran, but 
they've done a lot for their veterans. And, you know, like uh, it's not something that I'm really worried about. I would much rather see them work for anyone who might even have a glimpse of hope to be here in the future because Chris Tierney does not have that. So um, yeah, I'll be really interested. The Gustafson one's interesting too about uh, whether they, because it kind of looks like they're keeping them up in the NHL right now, you know, McNiven is reported to the AHL. So, and, and maybe part of that is just, they want McNiven to just, take a little bit of the weight off Sogard, as you said, and Forsberg and Gustafson will split. And I don't think that's the worst thing either. Like I, Gustafson has looked bad this year. And that is, it's been unfortunate because I was a huge Gustafson fan. Like I really think that I thought that he had the capability to even just take the reins and run. Like I didn't think they need to get Matt Murray because I thought like, just look at Gustafson and then find someone in the summer. If he's not the move, well, he doesn't look like he's the answer. And Matt Murray hasn't been the answer either, but um, I, I would be okay even if they kept Gustafson up, just split him 50-50 with Forsberg, let him, let him do a bit of a tandem thing because, you know, at the end of the day, they end up signing Forsberg to a three-year $2.75 million deal. And I don't hate it. Like it's, it's a low enough AAV where you can absolutely move on or bury it if it gets you in trouble. I, I'm a little cautious because it feels a lot like the Mike Condon, Andrew Hammond kind of situations to me. I think maybe... The one thing I'm a little optimistic about is it wasn't as aggressive as Andrew Hammond in terms of yeah. like, like that run was insane and everyone knew that wasn't going to like be a sustainable thing. And, but he's been better than Condon too. Like the, the Condon thing, I know that he kind of stabilized the position a little bit while Anderson was going through some stuff in a, in a playoff run, but Condon ended up, I'm pretty sure he had like a 908 save percentage. It wasn't that special of the year. It was not well enough to deem a three-year deal or whatever. And Forsberg has definitely been better than that. So do I think Forsberg's a long-term option? No, I really do not. Um, I would have been okay if they would have just waited to the summer and tried to take a look at what else was out there. But at the same time, with $2.75 million, like, you know he's probably going to be on this roster next year. And to me, this really probably does signal they're not sure what the hell the Matt Murray is going to be long-term. And they will obviously have more details than either of you or I are going to have about that. So if they are worried about Matt term, Matt, sorry, Matt Murray long-term, like legitimately, I don't hate just going and signing him. And then, you know, because Gustafson's got to, like, I think Gustafson has to be in the NHL next year, no matter what. Um, I, like, I don't really care if you plan on competing or not. He's got to be at the very worst your backup, I think, in the NHL next year. So to me, this kind of signals that there might be even more issues with Matt Murray um, that, you know, we don't know about or, you know, maybe his injury is a little more serious. Uh, I'll get your take on the Gustafson contract or Forsberg contract. Sorry. Um, you know, I, I thought overall I was very skeptical heading into it. But to me, it's such a low risk signing that I'm, I'm not – I don't think you can be angry about it or anything. I'm just cautious, cautiously optimistic, I think, is the best way I could put it. Yeah, and that's fair. And um, on our show, Locked on Centers, we talked about Forsberg being the biggest trade chip for this team because similar to you, you look at, okay, you got Matt Murray next year. Who knows how that's going to work out? But you got Gustafson also on a one-way deal. So you have two NHL contract goalies and there's no better time to sell high on Forsberg than now. Teams need backup goalies going into the playoffs. The Colorado Avalanche have had two amazing seasons ruined because they didn't have depth in the goaltender position. And they end up playing guys like Hammond and Hutchinson in a playoff series when that is not at all what they were hoping to do. So it was a point where they could have sold high, but what it does signing Forsberg to this extension is it gives you options. If they hadn't signed him, like let's say, regardless of whether they trade him or just let it ride out to the end of the season and let him go, 
now you're stuck with Matt Murray, who's got a big ticket and is arguably the most inconsistent health-wise goalie in the entire league. Um, when he's healthy, he's really good. And I think he earns every penny of that contract when he's healthy. But the issue is he very rarely is healthy. Sometimes it's hours before the game that you realize he can't go. And, that, and that's an issue. And it's again, it's nothing against the person. It's just the reality of the situation. This is a business and you got to be able to rely on a goalie that you're paying that much money. And the, the senators, they simply can't do that. And I don't think that's a shock to anyone or going out of the way to say that. So what they, what this contract does with Forsberg is it allows you to take a look at your situation and have options. We Now in the summer, we have Gus and Forsberg, not a great tandem, but if we want, we can buy out or try to trade Matt Murray's contract. And at least we've got two guys. Then we're not playing musical chairs of goalies and hoping the goalie we want lands in our lap because the Ottawa Senators aren't exactly a number one desired destination to go to. So you can't really take that risk. And you've got a goalie that you have the best intel on. You know him every day. You've seen exactly what he can do. You've seen his best performances, 40-plus saves in a home opener against the Leafs, and you've seen his absolute stinker, six goals in less than 30 shots up against the Blackhawks, and you've seen him consistently string together wins. He had five straight wins in the month of December, which for an Ottawa Senators team was an absolute miracle to have a goalie that could do that. So, And then if you're Anton Forsberg, you're thinking the same thing. I, he he uh, was quoted saying, I love working with um, Zach Burke here. He really gets me. I feel like the coaching staff is confident in me. My family likes it here. I've been bouncing around for years. I got a wife. I got young kids. I can't be moving around like this. Finally, I have some security and I have a good contract. And I feel like the contract they got for him is good because I think the Ottawa Senators would tell you they would have rather got him on a two-year deal because like you mentioned, They've been bit before giving three-year deals out to backups that have had a hot streak and then it just doesn't work out and then you're stuck with them. But with Forsberg, I think he can be ideally a 1B goalie and he's priced that way. He's getting more money than majority of backups in the league. A similar contract you can look at is with Vegas in Laurent Bossois. He got a two-year, I think, $2.35 million deal. So similar body of work, similar contract, pricing, everything, but... I would say Forsberg is a better option and that's where you get a bump in pay and you get an extra year on his salary. And he's a guy the auto centers know and trust. So I think it allows you some options with Murray and it allows you to develop Gustafson a little bit better. I, I'm on a little different page with Gustafson than you. I think he should get some more AHL time just because he's still such a young goalie. Sure. He was acquired ages ago and it seems like lifetime ago that he was brought in from Pittsburgh, but he hasn't had consistent stretches where he's been able to prove what he can do in the AHL and they haven't had AHL playoff time. I would love to see him in crunch time, what he can do uh, a game seven on the line in a series up against Laval or Toronto. What can he do there? And I want to see him get consistent starts because being up and down through the NHL. So I think it'd be great if you could go into the season with Murray and Forsberg. Hope Murray's health is as good as it can get. Murray's your 1A type guy with Forsberg being your 1B in an ideal scenario. I know it's not going to happen like that. And then Gus can try to get some time down in Belleville. So signing Forsberg to this deal gives you the options where if you traded him or let him go, now you're scrambling. So I think the Senators, they did what they had to do, maybe a year too long in the contract, but it's at a price where you can deal with that. So I, I think doing the Forsberg contract was very necessary. Although one thing that I kind of have a qualm with is 
So on trade deadline day, when you got to be focusing on all these contracts and you know you're keeping Forsberg, you're spending time on the phone with him and his agent hammering out a deal. You had months to do that after the trade deadline in the offseason. There's so much time to do that. I thought it was a bit of a head scratcher that that's where Pierre Dorian invested a lot of his time on that day. Yeah, I, I get there's probably something to like assuring the agent and Forsberg, hey, we're not moving you today. But yeah, yeah, you'd think a verbal commitment to that and then be like, hey, tomorrow is day one of us starting to hammer out exactly. your contract. Yeah, good enough, any right? other day we can start working on this, but we actually got some other things we got to do today. Especially because, and obviously there wasn't near as many players that were going to trade today, but we saw just two deadlines ago, the Mark Stone stuff came down to the last second. They almost oh, didn't yeah. get a trade-off for him. Close. And I would argue they didn't get probably as good of a return as they should have because they left it to so last minute. And yep. part of the reason they left it so last minute was because they were focusing on the Shane and Zingle deals. And then it was like, there was like a, I'm pretty, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure I heard a quote that like Dorian had spent a good chunk of his morning in the Nemestikov deal. It's like, I don't care if you get a fourth or a fifth for Nemestikov. Just yeah. like if you have Mark Stone that you need to trade, you have to focus that, right? So, and and part of that goes to the front office as well. And maybe maybe that's the thing where it's like with Pierre Maguire here, they have a little more front office help where one can yep. be negotiating the trades and the other can signing. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely a fair point where it's like, it is interesting, but we saw other teams do it too. I mean, Jake DeBrus got an extension today. Yep. Uh, Thomas Hurdle got one with San Jose yet, uh, the day before uh, the trade deadline, which weird extension to me for a team that is not very good and just locked Definitely. in a lot. I love Thomas Hurdle as a player, but um, yeah, San Jose is not an enviable cap situation right now. Nope. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. It, it definitely is odd, but um, yeah, he's locked in here for three more years now and you can just kind of hope for the best and we'll have to see where it goes because yeah, I, I think, um, I think uh, what's fair. your confidence level with Forsberg? Like I, I think me and most of the fan base, like out of the three goalies they got, I'm much more confident on a night-in, night-out basis when Forsberg is announced the starter. Yeah, I definitely, I think, it's weird because I think Gustafson still might have more upside than him, just like definitely for a given run. And, and I say, you know, that part of that's because of his age, but also as part, it's like, he was, like, Gustafson was really good to end last year. He has not yep. found that this year, but he was really good. I, I am just more confident in Forsberg probably than Murray. And yeah. Maybe not like I, I really thought when Murray came back from getting sent down to Belleville this year, that stretch of like 12, 15 games was the best stretch I have seen Matt Murray play in a very like since yep. he eliminated Ottawa from the playoffs basically back in 2017. Yeah. And so I, you know, when he was getting healthy, but again, the health is such a big factor that you can't count on him ever. And so with Forsberg, at least I think at least I hope that he can just kind of give you like nine Oh eight goaltending at the very worst, you know, like even if he's not going to be the nine, I think he's at nine 15, nine 16, maybe right now, like he's had a really good season. And yeah. even if he doesn't follow that up, if he can be that quote unquote one B where it's just like, he's not sinking us every time he's in the net, even that is probably going to be fine for 2.75 million dollars. And um, so, yeah, I, I really, I don't think he'll be what he has been from, basically December on this year, like he's been really good since December and fair play to him and, and good for him. You know, as we said, yep. like not only does he get some stability with his family, but he gets a $7 million payday, which is the biggest contract of his career, I think by far. So, um, you know, it's great for the player. I, I always love seeing the player get paid. That's never anything I'm disappointed with, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting because I thought in the first couple months of the season, he was very shaky, but 
the team around them was pretty shaky as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like the defense core was very good in front of them either. And I thought he's really um, stabilized as, you know, the decors improved a little bit, but he's gotten exponentially better too. So um, yeah, even if he can just be that kind of one B, they're probably going to have to figure out who the one A is, but if, you know, if he just provides the close to $3 million value you're asking from him, that's all you can ask for. And, you know, I have, um, again, cautiously optimistic that this will happen. Yeah, definitely. And, and it gives more time for Gus to hopefully, uh, I'm not quite convinced Gus can be that 1A guy, but it gives him more time to try to become that guy. And it gives you three more years to see what you got out of Mad Sogar too, who's just scratching the surface in his pro career. So it just gives you, you can sigh a breath of relief being like, okay, at least we have someone we can trust in the NHL crease for three years. At, at what point and how much do we put on them? We, we don't want to put too much on them, but at least we have one option locked up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in the in terms of prospects too, it's like, even if it's not Gustav, we got Sogard, we've got uh, Levi who's playing in Kingston yep. right now too, right? Like he, and even Mandalese who hasn't played a ton just because he, he spent a lot of time on the taxi squad last year. Yep. But and you know, been he, injured, unfortunately. He, yeah, exactly. But, you know, he's another guy where it's like, I'm not completely counting, completely counting him out that he's not an NHL goalie of any kind, Definitely. you know, but it gives the guys time to develop, which is, which is always an important thing. So um, yeah, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Uh, overall, I think you said, what did you say? You gave them a B minus probably for the straight deadline. Yep. Yeah. I would give the CC plus range and it's literally only because of the Hammonick trade. I, <laughs> yeah. If you took that out, I, I really do think that this was about status quo and maybe even a little bit above average than that. I think they did kind of what they needed to. I liked the Nick Paul trade and I thought the Sanford and Brown ones were good. Um, you know, I was hoping to maybe see like a Chris Tierney move just to get, give room for another couple prospects. But at the end of the day, I also understand there's only so many roster spots and, and cap space around the league that you can move either. You're not going to move all your uh, bottom players out at the deadline. So yeah, I, I thought it was about what I expected, um, minus the Hamannick trade maybe, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see um, what goes on down the stretch here, because I think it'll be uh, obviously all eyes will be on this uh, college tournament coming up over the next couple of weekends to see how far the Nodak sends go and uh, what happens with uh, Jake Sanderson. And, you know, because I think it's a foregone conclusion that when they're done, he will probably Actually, that's a good question. Do you think he'll go to Belleville? Like, do you think Ottawa will want to see him in the Belleville playoffs? Or do you think they'll send him straight to the team and just say, you've already been to the Olympics this year. You could go to the World Junior Camp this summer if you really wanted to as well. Do you think they'll just let him have the break? Or do you think they'll want to get him in that playoff experience? Yeah, that's definitely interesting. I think, personally, I think what will happen is if and when he's healthy, his injury is... uh, with the, with the hand that's it's kind of wishy-washy how serious it is right now so we'll see i think he's going to be the type of player that will come to ottawa they'll see how he does it in the nhl and then maybe just say okay even if Belleville's in the playoffs we'd love to get you down there but we're going to give you a bit of a break here i mean let's take a look at jake sanderson's year this year it has been an absolute goddamn roller coaster like going from nodak to world juniors to getting world juniors canceled okay world juniors canceled okay now i'm gonna go to the olympics um he gets a covid right before getting on the plane to go to russia so he's got to quarantine more then he finally gets the olympics usa gets bounced quick now he's got to come back he's got to wait for time then he gets in a handful of games with nodak and hurts his hand now he's waiting again so i just think it, it would be good to get him in Belleville, but I think it's just like 
you can only ask so much from a guy. So I think they might, and this is a guy they're heavily invested in. The last thing they'd want to do is get him injured again. I think they just see what he can do in Ottawa in a few games, if, and hopefully he does get that opportunity. But I think a guy we could look more seriously in a Belleville uh, uniform is a guy like Tyler Clevin. And I'm personally of the mind that, uh, and my co-host Ross Levitan on Locked On Centers podcast, we're both kind of the same, is a guy like Clevin could really use another year in college, especially when you have a guy at Nodak, Brad Berry, who's a defensive-minded coach and can build up and develop prospects. Give him another year there if there's no rush. And there's already guys in his way right now if he does go to Belleville, Lassie, JBD, Jonathan Aspero, all these kind of guys. So I personally would leave him in college, but there's been talks that he will bump up to pro. And if that's the scenario, then get Tyler Clevin in Belleville for sure, because I think he's someone that could really help out a team play more physical and play that brand of hockey that uh, in the playoffs, especially the AHL playoffs, could have a lot of benefits. So I think Sanderson probably won't see him in Belleville. Clevin, if he does go pro, we'll see him in Belleville. Yeah, I think Clevin would be a lock for Belleville, straight to Belleville and just help them out if, if he did. I, I was pretty surprised to see those reports, uh, yeah. um, you know, kind of come up that he was thinking about it. I get, like, it makes enough sense, but I, I think I agree where, I mean, I'm not passionate one way or the other. I think both yeah. ways would be fine and, you know, he, he can develop either way. But yeah, I, I think going back to school wouldn't hurt his development by any means. I think it would only help it a little more too. Um, so yeah, and just some breaking news on the next end here. Uh, Evgeny Dadanov, the trade to the, the Anaheim Ducks, it looks like it has officially been canceled. So, oh boy. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes down the line with that. I've tried to just not talk about it too much. Um, the whole situation seems weird. There's been conflicting reports about whether, you know, it's Ottawa's fault for not getting the trade list in or, you know, it looks like they may have got the trade list in because they had to submit it to make sure Dadnov wasn't or um, the, the Golden Knights weren't on Dadnov's list or whatever. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I figured I was going to wait until an official report comes out and just says it. I would personally be pretty surprised if any team got like severely punished. Like I saw people floating around that like Ottawa could lose their first round pick or something. That is I I would be so I would probably quit watching hockey, to be honest, if that <laughs> happened. Like, I just I don't think it's going to happen at all. Um, you know, like we've seen the league get give teams so much le- more leniency. Like, I'm pretty sure the Devils lost their 30, 30th overall pick the one year. And that got them out of all of Kovalchuk's contract when he went to the KHL or something. So I just don't think that what seems like a very simple error that might not even have been the team's error is really going to end up in like the loss of any serious asset or anything like that. So we'll have to keep an eye on it, but uh, that has been a crazy 40. I've never seen anything like that in terms of a trade actually being declined by the league. So um, yeah, that, that's an interesting piece of news, but I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, man. Where can people find you and, and your work? Yeah. So, Hey, we're uh, at the locked on centers podcast. You can check us out on Twitter at Send central. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon pillar one. We record a show five days a week, Monday through Friday. And uh, we do a postcast, our reaction after every single sends game, people can get involved in the chat. And uh, we usually have a good time with that. Liam's Martian in there too. A lot more reactions and vibes rather than kind of hard hitting opinions and analysis and stats and stuff. So Anywhere you you want to get uh, your Sense podcast on Apple, Spotify, we're on YouTube as well. You can check us out there at Sense Central Locked On Centers podcast. And I absolutely recommend going to do that. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll have to have you on uh, down the road when we have even more to talk about. Absolutely, Alex. Thanks a lot.